Welcome to DSW Yoga Podcast. My name is Debbie Simon. DSW Yoga Podcast features unique yoga voices in the Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, and surrounding areas. Today, my guest is Nikolai Bachman. Nikolai has been teaching Sanskrit, chanting, yoga philosophy, Ayurveda, and other related topics since 1994. He has a knack for synthesizing and organizing complex topics into simple and understandable presentations. His education combines informal, traditional study with the academic rigor of university classes. Nikolai studied extensively at the American Sanskrit Institute, the Ayurvedic Institute, the American Institute of Vedic Studies, and the Vedic Chant Center. He holds an MA in Eastern Philosophy, an MS in Nutrition, and is ERYT 500 certified. His ongoing studies continue to broaden his repertoire and inform all future classes. Nikolai has authored several Sanskrit book CD learning tools, including 108 Sanskrit flashcards, The Language of Yoga, The Language of Ayurveda, and The Yoga Sutras, An Essential Guide to the Heart of Yoga Philosophy. He also wrote an easy-to-read paperback on yoga philosophy called Path of the Yoga Sutras. Welcome, Nikolai. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, buddy. First question I wanted to ask you about, you have so much knowledge. And I really consider you, when I look at all that you've done, that you are truly a yoga teacher, a teacher of yoga in all of its forms. How did you come to study in so much depth? Well, I tend to um, take things kind of all the way. And so, I, I you know, I started um, back in 1989 um, with asana, uh, with Francois Raoul, actually. And uh, that kind of led to me find, finding an Ayurvedic practitioner, and that piqued my curiosity. Um, and then I ended up uh, basically quitting my job and studying Ayurveda for a year, moving all the way to Albuquerque uh, with Dr. Lod. And during that year, I, Vyas Houston, who's the uh, director of the American Sanskrit Institute, he came and taught a weekend on Sanskrit, and that was that was it. Um, I fully connected to yet another thing related to India. And I realized that Sanskrit's really the foundation for all of the Indian sciences, and I knew that I needed to learn that language to understand the deepest parts of the culture. So that's you know, the main reason I pursued it so hard. Now, I also pursued, pursued Ayurveda uh, quite hard, and um, but I ended up, you know, my, my path took me, you know, more towards the Sanskrit. I got a master's degree at St. John's College in Santa Fe, and then uh, studied for a year, actually before that, with my teacher Josh Houston, who I mentioned. Um, and then I moved, you know, then I was in Santa Fe, and I, I just found some really amazing teachers. So I just kept kept going and kept studying. I'm kind of a, you know, perpetual student. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and I started writing uh, one book and then the next book, and I realized there were, you know, books that needed to be written to 
encourage you know correct pronunciation uh, to know how to spell certain words um, etc all this time I you know I was practicing you know asana and also practicing Ayurveda in my own life through diet and lifestyle and and of course the you know, mantra I, I was initiated into a spiritual lineage along the way and so I, I've been practicing really all of the limbs for, for, for a long time and uh, you know we all know you always worry about the practice of what it's experiential so you know, you just have to kind of chip away and keep it going. And after year, after year, after year, after a while, um, you know, I guess I just accumulated um, a lot of hours. I logged a lot of hours for sure uh, studying, and especially with really good teachers. So that was a big, big part of of my um, journey. How has yoga sort of changed your life? In what ways has it made you see the world in a different way? Sounds like you've done a lot of studying and a lot of academic work, um, but I was curious as you were talking, this question just came to my mind. How has it changed you as a person? Uh, well, you know, the Indian worldview is very different. And to me, their worldview makes a lot more sense. It's, it's more oriented inward as opposed to Western worldview, which can really be more oriented outward. So for me, especially when I started meditation, I think this happens for a lot of people, when you begin the practice of meditation and you start to connect to that quiet in yourself, that really shifts everything. I mean, that, for me, that really did it. Um, it makes you realize that there's, something there that's very, very profound and it causes you to, you know, change the way you think about things. And um, that was the fundamental shift for me, I would say. And then more on the outside, you know, learning and practicing Ayurveda and seeing how well it works, that changed my life dramatically, actually. Uh, just to view kind of the world in terms of the three doshas and the three gunas, you know, Sattva, just Thomas, um, and it all kind of makes sense. It all kind of connects together. And so I definitely see the world in a, in a much more Indian way, I would say, than, uh, than a Western way. American yoga or Western yoga definitely does seem to be a little bit more outward focused. Um, and there are some very special, um, powerful texts in uh, in the culture of yoga. Um, can you give us a synopsis of some of these more well-known texts, for example, uh, the Vedas, the Panishads, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, um, the Bhagavad Gita, and Yoga Sutras? I know that's a lot <laughs> to give a synopsis of, but um, many of us aren't as familiar as maybe we should be as we're going into this practice of what these texts say. Okay, let me give this a shot. Um, so the Vedas, of course, the, are the original texts. They are the oldest. They are the deepest, uh, most symbolic, very metaphorical. And they are not actually meant to be read literally. They're meant to be read, read you know, uh, symbolically. And this is a big mistake that 
can be can happen is people will read a, a very ancient sacred scripture in a literal way and really miss what's really going on. So same thing for the Vedas. Now these are written in you know Vedic Sanskrit a long time ago, so they're very difficult to understand without a teacher. Uh, and they're considered to be not man-made by the uh, Indian culture. They're considered to be uh, basically sounds that were channeled in um, through sages uh, and very deep meditation. By the way, the sound for Veda, the Upanishad actually, especially Veda, the sound is the most important part of it. So, for example, if you had a choice between you know learning how to write it or you know uh, translate it or chant it, then you know the chanting is actually the most powerful form of, of that those texts. So um, three, the four data, three are the kind of the primary ones. The Upanishad uh, comprise what's called Vedanta, the end of the Veda. These are texts that are a little bit newer than the Veda. They are definitely drawn from the Veda, and there are many of these. Uh, Thirteen kind of primary ones, but there are you know over a hundred. And these kind of bring out the philosophy of the Veda in a more understandable way. So they're not quite as, they're still symbolic, but they're not quite as um, kind of uh, hard to understand as the Veda. So um, both the Vedas and the Upanishads are important texts to study, but again, you pretty much need a teacher or some guidance to really get what's going on in there. So the Vedas and the Upanishads both are considered to be what are called, what's called Shruti, which means heard, which means it's not man-made. Then later on, uh, this text called the Hatha Yoga Kavitika is more about the actual yoga practice. And so there's a lot of information about asana in there, about pranayama, about, you know, mudra, about, you know, meditation, uh, all kinds of information in that text. I'm actually personally, you know, surprised that that's not the main text that everybody uses. And I'm happy that the Yoga Sutras is the main text. But uh, the Yoga Sutras really is more about one's individual field of consciousness and how it works and how one can clarify and purify that field of consciousness in order to connect and stay connected to that inner self. So the Hatha Yoga Padipika is more, more about the outer practices, I would say, although it does get into the inner practices in parts. The Bhagavad Gita it means divine song. That is more of a devotional text, again, meant to be chanted. Uh, a part of this huge, uh, massive uh, story called the Mahabharata. The Bhagavad Gita is the climax. And this is the kind of text that's very, um, uh, very, you learn a lot about the inner parts of yoga. Uh, Krishna, who represents the divine inner light of awareness, is kind of counseling Arjuna, who represents the struggling human, who is, Arjuna is actually 
doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know if he should go out and, you know, fight uh, or if he should, you know, not fight. And that's the whole premise of the text. Now, you know, if you read it on the outside, be aware that it's not going to make a lot of sense. If you read it on the inside, it's pretty obvious that the war is pulling Arjuna outward and Krishna is pulling him inward. And that's ultimately the message of the Gita is to pull yourself, your attention inward and realize that you are that inner light of awareness. You did mention, and it's true, um, the Yoga Sutra seems to be the text that has taken hold of the Western yoga um, mindset. And you wrote a book called The Path of the Yoga Sutras, my favorite translation of uh, the Yoga Sutras. What makes this translation that you've written different from other translations that are out there? Well, I've been studying that text for a long, long time with many different teachers and going through a lot of different translations. And as far as I can tell, every single translation, they just start with sutra number one, they kind of go through the text in a linear fashion. And I've met a lot of people that have had a hard time learning what yoga is, doing it that way. Uh, and so when I was thinking about how to design my translation, I thought, well, what's the, how do you really get what yoga is? You know, what, how do you understand what it really is? So I decided the best way is to understand what these terms mean because these Sanskrit terms don't have any English equivalents. You know, you can't say chitta is mind or, you know, abhyasa is practice. It doesn't really work. So to understand those, I pulled out about 51, which is an auspicious number, by the way, uh, terms from the Yoga Sutras and just wrote commentary on what those terms mean and how to practice them and think about them. It was meant to be a, over the course of time of practice. I'd take one term, spend a week with it, and read you know, everything you can about it, practice it in your life, and really, that's how you really get what it is. Um, this particular paperback was based on the big box set that I did before it uh, that has all the Sanskrit and all kinds of illustrations and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and what I did was I, for each term, I would reference every sutra that that term related to. And by the time I'm done, I've hit every single sutra. So I've translated the whole text, but it just doesn't look that way. Uh, I've just done it in a different way. And I, I do believe that that's the best way to really learn what yoga actually is. Yes, it was an eye-opener for me, very easy to understand, and it helped me to get to the heart of the practice, um, and I really appreciate it. I take that book with me to, you know, all my yoga classes and recommend it, and I know we use it in our teacher training at Blue on Jew as well, and I know that the students really appreciate that. Um, I wanted to circle back a little bit um, in talking about um, the language of Sanskrit. So, we all know that yoga is filled. It is filled with this language of Sanskrit. Some some yoga practitioners, teachers, use it often. Some don't use it at all. Um, you started a company called 
Sanskrit sounds dedicated to the preservation and education of the science and the philosophies of the Sanskrit language. Why did you feel like this was important to do? You know, this culture, this yogic culture, is really focused on the subtle body uh, more than the physical. So whatever affects the subtle body is said to be actually more powerful. And sound is actually a very, very powerful effector of the subtle body. So in Sanskrit in particular, it's, you know, it's the language of mantra. So it's, it's, it grew out of kind of nature. And so each individual sound, it has an effect. And so, you know, when you say a word, that word is a combination of sounds that has a particular effect. And when you pronounce the word properly, the sound of the word actually carries the meaning in it. And so, you know, pronunciation is, is very, very important. Uh, in fact, you know, there are these um, six areas of study necessary to uh, understand the Veda. They're called Vedangas. And pronunciation is the first one, which means it's the most important. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to, a lot of the books I've written really are for the purpose of people pronouncing Sanskrit properly, either learning the alphabet with the flashcards or learning all of the um, yoga terms and asana names with the language of yoga, which has two CDs in it. Most of my, um, actually, most of my products have CDs with them so that you can hear and repeat uh, the pronunciation so that you you get it. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very important part of of, of the other practice, to be honest. And but I don't think um, it's been a long it's been a long time. I don't know if um, people really give it that much um, importance, and I, I wish it was given more importance. I'm sure that you hear some mangled <laughs> words uh, in your time. What are some of the most mispronounced Sanskrit words that you hear in yoga today, if you hear them at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hear them all the time. Um, so I'll give you some examples. A good one is chakra. Uh, the correct pronunciation is chakra. I hear people saying chakra, which is a completely different word, a completely different root, completely different meaning. It has no relationship with the word chakra. Then, you know, there are some, uh, there's another one, um, kundalini, which I hear as you know, kundalini. And this is understandable because people are, they don't, you know, if you look at the word and they don't have any marks or any understanding of the language, they're just going to pronounce it as as in their regular language, actually. So it's not anybody's uh, fault. It's more like that's just how it works. But I'm hoping that once people um, understand the importance of the pronunciation, that they will maybe take the time to learn just the basics of pronunciation. Another one is, uh, you know, bound angle posture. So I hear it as Vatikanasana. And uh, the correct pronunciation is Buddhakonasana. Um, another one of my favorites, I hear it as Viparita Karani, the legs up against the wall posture. 
should be the Bari Tekarani. So I actually have a, a video. There's some video you can just Google, like 10 most mispronounced Sanskrit words. Um, my friend Melissa Smith uh, did a video many years back, and it's actually kind of funny. So if anybody wants to uh, watch the video, it might be entertaining. <laughs> I'm sure that that, and I I heard myself <laughs> mispronounce words, especially the first two. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to me um, what you're saying about the power of the language can really make the practice um, deeper. Um, a lot has been said lately about cultural appropriation of, you know, different people's um, cultures. So um, how important do you feel like that that, that respects that uh, not just yoga but the Indian culture that we make that effort to pronounce these words properly? Well, that's, you know, that's another aspect of this, that, you know, it does give respect to the culture. And when you pronounce, when you take the time to learn the original Sanskrit names for the posture, uh, then not only is it very enjoyable, actually, but it kind of links you to to the tradition. And uh, I encourage people to actually pronounce the posture while they're in the posture, and thereby they can get a kind of a visceral sense for the pronunciation, and it's a better way to learn it because then you're you're saying it while you're in the posture. Um, and also, don't rush through the name. There's no rush. Yeah. You shouldn't be rushed when you're practicing yoga. It should be, you know, a, kind of a steady kind of practice. And uh, when you're a teacher, you know, to say the Sanskrit with the correct uh, Sanskrit posture name with the correct pronunciation uh, is actually very enjoyable and it's very noticeable. And it, it really does bring in the energetic of the ancient yogis into the class. Um, I encourage teachers to just take the time pronouncing those names and savor the subtle energy that they produce. By the way, uh, that's why I wrote The Language of Yoga, which has two CDs in it. It's, it's two, so people can learn how to spell and pronounce all of the asana names and a lot of the yoga vocabulary. You are, my home studio, Blue Anju, we try very hard to take these things um, seriously. We sort of pride ourselves on being a little bit more on the traditional side and try to really um, stay true to um, how, how, what yoga was meant to be. We try our best in this Western society. And uh, I'm really grateful that you're going to be coming to our uh, studio in a couple of weeks. Um, Blue Anju Yoga Studios in Louisville, Texas, it's going to be the weekend of May 19th to 21st um, to teach several comprehensive workshops. Um, and I'd love for you to give just a brief review, so I'll, I'll name them, and then if you could just give a brief review of each course that you're going to be leading so that our listeners can have that information. Um, on Friday, May 19th from 6 to 9, you're teaching uh, something called the Origins of Yoga and a Vedic fire ceremony. Yes, this will be a class on 
where yoga came from, um, you know, uh, what the word yoga means, like the history, um, so people can understand the roots. You know, again, I only have three hours, but I, I give the basic roots of where yoga came from, and then, and then it's a great combination to follow that with a Vedic fire ceremony. Now, granted, a real Vedic fire ceremony takes you know many days and sometimes a week. This is a short version of it, but it's going to involve a lot of Vedic chanting, offering into a fire. I'm going to have a fire with you know copper vessel and you know cow dung. It's very pure. Uh, it's a very pure ceremony, and it's very um, people actually really love that ceremony. So. Uh, it will be, you know, everybody chanting together and then offering something mentally into the fire, something they either want to uh, send to somebody else or to, you know, get rid of or to transform in some way. And um, there's a certain way to do that. And I'll be just the fire tender, um, acting kind of as a, in the sense of the very priest. And then at sunset, I'll do the Hotra Mantra, and then... Um, that will end the ceremony. It's a very, very powerful and ancient ceremony. On the next day, Saturday, May 20th, from 12 to 2.30, you'll be leading Sanskrit basics, which I can already assume what that's going to be uh, like and about, but you will be leading uh, that workshop. Can you tell us a little bit about what we can expect for that one? Yeah, that's actually a really fun class. That's where we, everybody learns the basics of how to pronounce Sanskrit words. So we're going to go through, we'll do a little bit of history of the Sanskrit language, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, go through the alphabet, and I'll bring in a lot of very esoteric information about the language, and then we'll practice a whole bunch of words at the end, and we'll do at least one chant, maybe two, and some asana names. So uh, that's actually a really uh, fun class and uh, people go away with get, having a very good understanding of how to pronounce those, uh, any, really any Sanskrit word. Later that afternoon, you're going to teach a workshop mantra recitation exploration into sacred sounds. That sounds fascinating. What's that about? So in that class, we will, it will be an introduction to the science of mantra. And it's great that it's right after the Sanskrit Basics class. So I'll be going through, you know, what mantra is, uh, why it's important, and we'll be actually learning several deeds of mantras, seed mantras. They're usually about single solo mantras, and then I'll be building it up, and building the mantra size up uh, gradually as we go through the class. And uh, we'll have people will get a very, very good understanding of the basics of what you know what mantra is and how powerful it is. And even, you know, if they even wanted to start a mantra practice they could after that class. And then the next day on May twenty first at that Sunday, you will close the weekend with a master class called Relax, Receive and Restore. What is that? That is a class where it's a restorative posture class and I will be Everybody will go into a particular posture, and I will, then I will chant uh, a Sanskrit chant. Usually it's a very old chant, like a Vedic chant, but sometimes I use a stotra, sometimes I do a yoga sutra, 
over and over and over again. Sometimes I do a mantra. And every time, so the idea there is everybody gets into a very, very relaxed state and everything's very quiet and so they can absorb the Sanskrit sounds in that state, which would just allows this, your, the subtle system to really receive it in a very powerful way. Those classes, um, it's part of our teacher training, our 500-hour teacher training, but um, people can come in from outside that are not a part of the teacher training. They can take the entire weekend or they can just, you know, take a couple of uh, classes. So I'm going to post all that uh, sign-up information on the show notes um, for people when, if they're interested in signing up at the bluewanju.com, um, but I will post that information for people. But how can people find more out about you, what website and um, other kind of social media information can you share with us that I will also post on the show notes? Well, the best way is to go to my website. That's com. That's uh, S-A-N-S-K-R-I-T sounds.com. Uh, I am on Facebook also. Uh, I think you probably just search for Sanskrit Sounds. I think as far as information about me, the, the website would be the best. It has my schedule and the, the books and uh, a whole bunch of free stuff, too, actually, a bunch of articles I've written. Uh, you know, pretty much everything is, is there. Uh, I think that would be the best place to go. Well, we are very excited to welcome you to Texas. We'll try not to butcher <laughs> the language with our southern draw too much. Um, we'll try in a do better out here in Texas and really look forward to seeing you and thank you so much for sitting for a few minutes for this podcast I really appreciate it thank you Debbie for having me it's my pleasure and thanks everyone for listening this is Debbie Simon DSW Yoga Podcast see you next time on the mat <laughs>